Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Church, welcome back. Hope you've had a good week. Thank you, worship team. It's wonderful to be here online with you this morning, continuing our series on the creeds. This is part three. Pastor Emma did a wonderful job uh, last week leading us into discovering and deepening our understanding around the role and the relationship of the Holy Spirit uh, from the Godhead into our lives. Um, and we're going to continue the discussion around this. If you're tuning in for the first time, you're wondering, you know, what's this series all about? Well, over the course of millennia as a, as a united church, as a, a global church, um, we've used creeds, which is a guiding principle to help communicate really important godly theological or doctrinal points that keep us on the straight and narrow and not just veering off and making up our own understandings of God, but making sure that it's scripturally based. And a lot of the creeds, if not all the creeds, spend time communicating the fact that we serve a God three in one. There's a trinity. And so Next week, I'm giving you a head start. I'm letting you know what we're doing next week so you understand what we're doing this week. Next week, we're going to discuss and I'm going to teach on the roles and relationships around God the Father and God the Son and a recap on the Holy Spirit and how they work together in their different, uh, different persons in one God. And that's going to be fun and exciting. But before I can do that, I thought it'd be really important for me just to lay the, the foundation, something that you can pick up and run with when it comes to the doctrine of the Trinity. And hopefully today after this sermon, we can walk away all better equipped uh, and that you walk away with a better understanding about the power and the powerful mystery around the triune Godhead. So before we get into that, like I said, we're going to be focusing on um, God the Father, God the Son, recap on the Holy Spirit next week. Um, But I need you to remember this. I want you to think about this scripture. I want you to, throughout the course of the week, uh, give opportunities for this to sink in and just meditate on it. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Thank you, Jesus. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, most of us are well acquainted with this scripture verse because you've either seen it on a Christmas well wish card or a birthday card or every second Christian has it as a tattoo. Uh, or right now you're like, oh, how did Pastor Ben know I wanted that as a tattoo? Uh, <laughs> I've heard it incorrectly applied by people more often than I'd care to mention, but um, we're talking about here something that is contextually important for Israel. It's in the midst of Babylonian um, uh, occupation and exile. Um, and we often hear this scripture verse quoted. Uh, and like I said, I want you to remember it because it's important. We're going to use this scripture verse. It's very important to, uh, to help you understand why, if you do not have a full grasp or a, a, a sound grasp of the Trinity, we would read scripture verses like this and we would apply them, but not fully understand how something can be out of context to us, yet so applicable to us, you know, thousands of years later. Is that cool? Back of your mind for next week. That's your homework. Turn the person next to you on the couch, on the beanbag. It's weird if there's two people on the beanbag, whatever you do, you. Let them know this is your homework. Or well, there won't be because the queen of beanbags up here, hey? 
No one's sitting on a beanbag. Jamie's here, everybody. Jamie Walker. <laughs> no, don't zoom in on me. <laughs> All right. Are you guys ready to get into a simple, basic teaching on the doctrine of the Trinity. And as much as I'd like to say that this is all from within the conception of my mind, it is not. This is from studying greater minds than mine that have laid out these fundamental truths in ways that we can reteach them to each and every one of you in a way that is palatable. Ready? What you need to know right now, at the center of the universe, I mean the center of everything, is a relationship. This is a fundamental truth each and every one of us as believers. We really need to know. And I don't mean just like, oh, that's nice to know. I mean, no, right? When you're married, uh, as a husband, you should know your wife in that relationship, right? If you don't know your wife, are you a good husband? Like, to treat something properly requires you to know something properly. And so when I say to you right now, it's a fundamental truth, you need to know that at the center of our universe is a relationship. At the center of our universe is a community. Isn't that a beautiful picture? It's out of this relationship that's at the center of the universe that you and I were created, and it's out of this relationship that you and I were redeemed. It's a beautiful tension there. That community, as we know it, is the Trinity. The center of our reality, of all reality, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I can fully understand that for some of us, thinking about God as a Trinity is a challenging thought. It's a challenging concept. Some of us, we get it, maybe because it's like a little bit too difficult to put that much energy in, so it's easier just to be like, yep, got it. Cool, move on. It's good for me, doesn't, it doesn't upset my day. But I can still do what I want. Some of us, like, we overthink things, right? We think our intellect comes from trying to find holes in something. Yet God outsteps us in this when he says that there's so many things about him that are a mystery. It's not that he's being lazy and he doesn't want to tell us. There's something powerful about a mystery, a discovery, See, if done right, taking time to get our minds uh, into the whole concept of the Trinity can be something that is, that's invigorating. Uh, Emma used to, we used to joke when we were dating, she's like, Ben, how, do you, how would you describe your life? And um, I would say to her, like, I really think we're called to live a vigorous, vibrant colorful lifestyle and I can't say that as much anymore because I don't have the energy to do that (laughs) but don't you want to approach your study of who our God is in a way that's vibrant and invigorating not like oh I better know this or everyone's going to know that I'm a fake Christian everyone's going to know that I'm a pretender hey if you still struggle with the concept of a trinity doesn't mean your faith in God is any less. If anything, we need to understand that this is something that is designed to take time to process. See, we enter into an intellectual process by which the church, and when I say the church, I mean the church as a whole over, over time and over the course of history, 
arrived at. And that's the concept of the Trinity. And so we, we soon discover that we're not talking about or thinking about human thoughts of God. This is, this is where it becomes difficult for us because we're not trying to discover human thoughts of God. What we're actually beginning to discover is the thinking of how God, sorry, the thinking God has of the thoughts of God, how God looks at God, how God operates as God. And this is difficult for us because we have these constraints from our human condition that force us to want to try to control something, try to, try to bend it into a way that better suits us. We try to use our environment around us, our three-dimensional environment, to best explain something that is out of time and out of physics. See, the Trinity is God's way of being God. So page after page after page after page of records in the Bible is that of God's self-revelation. And we, we encounter this as we read it. And as we encounter this, we understand God's self-revelation is of a threefoldness, three in one. See, those who originally articulated the doctrine were ordinary disciples like you and me, people who followed Jesus seeking to make sense of this God revelation, this self-revelation of God, of how he explains himself. They weren't these intellects in these ivory towers Speaking on high, telling us peasants how to understand things far beyond our ability. And I say this so that those of you who can sometimes disqualify yourself. Man, I just spat so much. Disqualify yourself. Lucky when we're back in person. Anyway. If you disqualify yourself because, well, I'm not an academic pastor, Ben. I struggle to understand what's going on the bachelorette, let alone the Trinity. Can I tell you right now? From what I understand of the both, the Trinity weight makes way more sense. <laughs> if you can understand any of those shows, you're qualified to understand the Trinity. It's, it's a simple thought that when you begin to think about it, begins to unravel in a, in a healthy way. It's a good thing. You're not disqualified. Ordinary people sought after a way of understanding God's self-revelation and their experience of God's self-revelation in Jesus. Because Jesus turns up and it changes everything. And people are forced to think about this. And like, wait a minute. Scripture, Jesus, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. What does this all mean? How does this all work? And they begin to look and they begin to hope. And they, in their hearts, and I think this is the call of our hearts, we, wanna, we want hearts and minds that can pray and worship, preach, evangelize, in all ways that are faithful to who God is. And see, that's what stirred them. It's like, hey, we want to represent faithfully who our God is. But when we look at Scripture, when we look at what Jesus did, when we look at the birth of the church and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, all this is God's self-revelation. How does this all add up? How does this work? See, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. The doctrine of the Trinity is, is created in a way to explain to give us some sort of guidance, to, to understand that these, these data and information points that we receive across God's narrative in humanity all lead to one reality, which is we serve a God three in one. And that is why we'd hear like these creeds, these people at the early church would recite Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
So we need to ask two questions. And the first one is this, what does it all mean? And the second one is, well, what does it all matter? See, what does it mean to sing the creed or or sing a, a hymn like God in three persons, blessed Trinity? And then what does it matter tomorrow morning in our homes, in the offices, in the neighborhood, in the coffee shops, in the hospitals? What does it mean to our everyday consequence? Knowing of God as a trinity. Dale Johnson shares a quote in one of his books about his lecture making this statement. Dr. Paul Jewett used, uh, used to tell us, his students, this is what Dale Johnson wrote. The church, he said, did not formulate the doctrine of the trinity in order to resolve the mystery of God's self-revelation, but, to, but rather to preserve the mystery of God's self-revelation. Not resolve it, preserve it. So this leaves us with a direction to proceed down. This leaves us with a goal in mind now. It's a helpful one. When I was a young kid, most of my childhood, from the age of five years old up until 13, I did this thing called orienteering. Some of you might be familiar with it, but essentially what it is is that they'll put these markers in, in sequence out in the middle of nowhere, like out in the forest or out in the bush. In Australia, we'd say out in the middle of whoop, whoop. Uh, so you can turn to some whoop, whoop. I love Aussie slang. It's so good. Every, every once in a while, I realize I say stuff. And you're also polite just to pretend you know what I'm saying. Like Canadians are good like that. Like, yeah, it's so good, Pastor Ben. They're like, what is that? What is chock-a-blog? <laughs> I used to do orienteering, and um, you essentially have to use a map and a compass only. And you'd be sent out, and hopefully you had your water bottle because you need that. And the goal of the exercise was to find each of the markers in the right sequence and then get back and do that in the fastest time. It's an individual sport. And you'd have to use the map to understand. But at the end of the day, the map without a compass is difficult. And so right now, I love that our God doesn't just give us a map. He gives us a compass. He gives us the ability to understand where to proceed. This is the direction to go. This is what it's going to look like a little bit for you. And so right now, let's use that. Let's use the understanding that we're not here to resolve the mystery of God's self-revelation. We don't have the capacity to do that as human beings. To try that is difficult. It's probably impossible. But rather, we need to preserve it in the way he communicated it to us so that it is kept pure, so that it can be retaught each generation in a way that doesn't leave or diverge from what it's meant to be. So these are the three basic truths that the doctrine of the Trinity is trying to preserve. It is preserving. And these truths have emerged from information and and scripture and data around God's self-revelation. So these are the three basic truths. Are you ready? If you have a pen and paper, you can write it down, iPad, whatever, or just re-watch this on Wednesday. Number one, there is a God and only one There is a God and only one. Number two, this God not only exists, but exists eternally in three distinct persons. We're going to talk a a little bit later how not only exists, but subsists, and how that helps us understand the concept of the Trinity. And number three, 
the three persons are equally divine in essence and attributes. See, the trick is to hold all three truths simultaneously. See, most heresy results from affirming two of them while neglecting or denying a third. And so we're going to look at a diagram that was really helpful for me to understand what we're talking about here. It's going to be on your screen, and it's going to go down into a smaller box that never leaves. But this diagram is from Dr. Roger Nichol, Nicole, sorry, of Gordon Conwell Seminary in Massachusetts. And I know what you're thinking right now. You're like, it's the Illuminati. <laughs> it's the Deathly Hallows. No. This diagram and, and, and what we're about to walk through is going to be helpful. So if you are to look at that triangle with a circle in it, I want you to place yourself in the center of the triangle and the circle, right in the middle there, boom. And so you will remain in the center of the circle. It sounds like a game, I know. You'll remain in the center of the circle if you can hold onto simultaneously the three legs of the triangle. And you'll see each leg represents something. If you can only hold onto two sides... You will slide into the corner where those two legs meet and you will find yourself outside of the circle. I love this. It feels exciting. So right now, as you look at that diagram, let the circle inside the triangle represent the mystery of the Trinitarian nature of our God. See, if you hold on to all three truths, God is one, but eternally subsists in three distinct persons. The three persons are equally God. You will preserve the mystery of the triune God. Well done, good and faithful servant. You get a gold star. You can move along. But this sounds like the if you can only hold on to two of the three, you will end up in an unbiblical view of God a view of God which does not line up with the data presented before us of God's self-revelation. And so with that in mind, we're going to take time to go through this because it'll help you. Because for some of you, like, I don't know what modalism is. You know, what does subordination have to do with the Trinity and what's tritheism? We're going to go through that. I spoke this yesterday, uh, Pastor Emma, a lovely wife. I said, how'd they go, babe? She's like, you used a lot of words you probably have to explain. I was like, no. So... (laughs) If you don't know these words, it's okay. Neither did I. But do you know what happened? I saw it and I looked it up. Right? I know you all can do it too because when you're on Pinterest and you see a really nice bit of like like a a plated bit of uh, food or a dish and you're like, yum, I want to eat that. I know for a fact you'll figure out how to find the recipe. Am I wrong? No. I know, right? Or if you're going through Instagram and someone's wearing a nice you know, outfit or they've got some good shoes on, you will do unbelievable things to figure out where, why, how much it's going to cost, what you need to sell, which child you need to get rid of, whatever it is to get that. So I'm going to use words that you might not have heard of. But the best part is this, is this is going to be online. You could even just write down the word now. It's on the diagrams and just look them up. But for the most part, it's pretty self-explanatory. And I'm going to do my best to explain it here. So, modalism. So, if you are to affirm that there is one God, that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are equally divine, but, not, but deny that God eternally exists in three distinct forms, you will end up in the corner of what is called modalism. I love this. This is heresy. I get to use this word a lot in this sermon. I get real excited. There's two words that I just, I don't know why we stopped using as much, but they were fun. 
heresy and pagan. Like, I feel as a Christian, that's one of the worst insults. Colin, you pagan. Because now we're trying to figure out why you are a pagan. Like, what did you do? How did you become that? Why, <laughs> why Colin? Okay. So if you hold on to, and you can see on your diagram, I'm going to point to wherever it is on to here, right? Yep. Woohoo. Up. This way? Yeah, good. Around here. I feel like a weather person now. <laughs> weather and whatever. If you hold on to, like, the, the, the concept that one God and they're equal, but they're not three persons existing eternally, you fall into modalism down the bottom there. And essentially, what we're talking about here is that uh, Sabulus, who first came up with this concept, or was the first to actually begin to preach and affirm it, says that Jesus Christ is fully God, but that Jesus was only a certain manifestation of the one God, a mode of appearing, hence the term modalism. So uh, Sabulus argues, uh, argues that God has revealed himself in successive manifestations. So first, Old Testament, it's God the Father. And then in the New Testament era, it's God the Son. And in the church era, the birth of the early church era, and moving forward, it's the Holy Spirit. But God is not eternally God and three persons according to modalism. God just comes to us in different times, in different modes. And so with that in mind, we can cast it aside because it does not line up with Scripture. It does not line up with what we understand God to describe himself as. If you were to affirm that there is one God and that there are three distinct persons in the Godhead, but, but deny that the three persons are equally divine, you will end up in the corner called subordinationism. This position holds that the Father is inherently divine, but the Son and the Holy Spirit possess a subordinate kind of divinity. Once again, this is heresy. Yep. This, no comment. <laughs> winner, winner. <laughs> that was fun. See, this was first associated with a man named Arius, and his concepts and what he really tried to get out into the mainstream still come up time to time after, under different names in modern you know, philosophy and understandings around how the, the, the triune Godhead works. But unlike Sabellus, Arius denied that Jesus is fully God. Jesus is the incarnation of a pre-existing Son of God, but the pre-existing Son of God has not eternally existed. He argued that the Son was the Father's first creation, whoa, and the one whom he created everything else through. But the Son is not divine in the same sense that the Father is. This is his thoughts. Uh, it's, a, it's in this scheme that the Holy Spirit is simply an impersonal divine power, just an ethereal power. Both Sabulus and Arius wanted to preserve the oneness of God while affirming some sort of threefoldness. But as we, as we looked Sabulus under modalism preserved the oneness by treating the threefold as modes of appearing, and Arius preserved the oneness by relegating the Son and the Spirit to a lesser divinity. Neither position won the day, which is good because they're both wrong, um, and they didn't square the fact that Jesus Christ, uh, and, uh, as, as Jesus Christ presented and spoke and taught of himself in the New Testament, they, they weren't able to actually align it. Then we come to the third 
point of the triangle, tritheism. And that's if you hold on to the fact that there's three persons and they're equally divine, but they're not one God, like a pantheon, like three separate gods. And I know what you're thinking. This is, this is one of the things that uh, most theologians, if not all, just like, no, nah, this is not the case. This is definitely not it. The reason it's there is that more often than not, in the modern concepts, many believers, for a multitude of reasons, when they go to describe the Trinity, accidentally or, or passively actually end up leaving the person they're communicating it with thinking that there is three separate gods, right? And that they lose the oneness and they struggle to communicate the oneness. These are like bush theologians. I love social media, but on social media, oh man, it's a good reminder for pastors to look and remember that context of the scripture is really important when you use it in application in a modern um, example. And so when you see these people arguing over, over theological um, you know, stances and who believes this and who believes that, it's amazing how many people just come up with their own theology based on the Sunday school degree they got. Right? Oh, man, like as a church... We've always said if you've come to our journey sessions and you've partnered with us and you understand our culture, you know, searching scripture, learning scripture, discovering it, immersing it, hiding it within your heart so that you wouldn't sin against God, that your impulses would be driven by the the, the word, you know, empowered scripture that lays the foundation, the bedrock of your life. That requires you to desire to do that. You can't do that once a week on a Sunday. Come here, have a meal a week and expect to be a really healthy individual. You're going to be malnourished. We know that. And so we've always said you've got to keep and keep doing this. Resource yourself. We give a lot of resource if you need it, by the way. But, But you've got a desire to learn more about your God in your life, in your relationship with him, in your and his love together. See, as much as this, the church is one big family, there is still the individual component which you're in charge of called your life. And, and how you go about, you know, deepening your relationship with God is very simple. It's the discovery of who he is through experience and through his word. But tritheism, this becomes a problem because a lot of the time we haven't done our homework and we do our best to explain it, but we end up with unfortunately communicating or leaving that person thinking that there's three gods equally but not one. So... With that all in mind, with you now seeing this really good diagram that's super helpful, I know each and every one of you has the ability to hold these three truths simultaneously. So let's deal with how one, sorry, three in one should be understood. Let's deal with the concept of three in one right now. 
So there's only one way that we can stay out of the corners, and we've said this in the middle of the circle, and that's to hold all those three legs of the triangle simultaneously. See, the imagery itself just reflects how challenging the task is. Because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, I've only got two arms. Uh, and that's the point, right? Like, there is, there's still a requirement of faith. There's a requirement of beyond our own capacity. We need to begin to reach out and ask God, would you begin to help us understand this even better through the experience of your spirit? But if we want to know God as God, we have to understand that he's revealed us to us what he is meant to be. And so we need to affirm simultaneously that God is one, God is eternally, and, and, and subsists in three per, distinct persons, and that three persons are equally divine in essence and attributes. So from the beginning, the church recognized the word person, because we use this word, person was less than perfect as a word, coming from the Latin word persona, which could mean face or countenance or mask or actor. And the Eastern church at the time sort of shied away from this because they feared that it would be misinterpreted as modalism, right? Different modes or even tritheism, different gods. Nonetheless, the church chose to keep this less than perfect word to preserve, and I want you to understand this, preserve the fact and this fact alone. God is one, but God is not alone. Persons. He's not alone. See, before creation of the universe, God could speak and someone heard and spoke back. Persons preserves the I-thou and the thou-I conversation, the community of the triune God. Persons preserve the us-ness of God's self-revelation. The three persons are not parts of God. And I want you to understand this. They're not, so they're, nor are they mere attributes of God. The three are not distinctions of God's being. They are distinctions in God's being. Not of God's being, in God's being. That one word changes everything. It changes everything. So how do we describe it? Well, this is why we're using the word subsist. Not just exists, but subsists. Three persons subsist in one divine essence. They do not coexist alongside one another. See, water coexists as liquid, solid, and vapor. I said last night, I know this has been a popular way to describe how the Trinity works. But, it's a bit of modalism. It's, you're a heretic. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Inadvertently, it's one of those things where it attempts to do our best to describe the Trinity through a physical object like liquid, solid, and vapor or gas. But at the end of the day, they still just fall into the modalism category, different modes, right? They coexist, but they don't subsist. See, I coexist with my wife and kids and my co-workers. So do you. We coexist as members of Avant Life Church. But we don't subsist as that. I subsist as a husband, a father, a brother, a son, a pastor, a disciple of Christ, all in one. 
See, one plus one plus one equals three. That coexists. But one times one times one equals one. It subsists within itself. We serve a good God. A God that chose to not shield us from the complexities of who He is, but invites us into the powerful mystery of His self-revelation. Not that we would just disregard it as something far beyond our capabilities of understanding, but we would find great joy and invigoration and identity in knowing that we serve a God that is far beyond what this world could possibly dream or imagine, that it's so difficult for us as human beings. The Bible says that He is indescribable. Now it makes sense. Of course, He's indescribable. Because as He begins to describe Himself to us and His love and His goodness and how strong and powerful and almighty He is and how caring and gentle and how every detail He sees, nothing escapes His attention, that even those concepts that we think are human are but a a side effect, a symptom, an attribute, an on-flowing attribute or characteristic of the very centre of our universe which is a relationship, a community, our God. Church, I know next week's going to be a powerful week as we talk about each role of the Trinity. And I know when we talk about it, for some of us, it's going to be such a new revelation. The way you outwork your faith, the way you speak to our God, is going to fundamentally change forever when you realize that there is a design when you realize that there is perfection, when you realize all these scriptures and all the times you've come to the church and we say, well, you're restored into relationship with the Father because of the Son, I promise you next week, if that's something you've struggled with, it's going to make sense more than ever by the end of the service next week. If you struggled with, well, how does the Holy Spirit work and why is the Holy Spirit here and it wasn't there? Well, next week when we describe the outworking nature of our God, it's going to make it so much clearer to you when you begin to activate the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you'll understand why it proceeds from the Father and the Son. And then you'll understand why your inheritance in Christ is so important, where it positions you because you're not the center of the universe, but you're invited into it. Isn't that beautiful? You're not the center, but you're invited into it. When you say yes to Jesus, you're invited into the center. You get to inherit, you get to experience, and you're blessed and you're anointed by it. So church, as we worship right now, can we remember we we, as a church worship a three-in-one God? And it's beautiful and it's difficult to understand, but it's exactly perfect. It's balanced, it's appropriate. And without it, none of this that we do makes sense. So right now, because you are restored into relationship with the Father through the Son, would we ask in each and every one of our homes, Holy Spirit, come. And now if you're there right now and you're wondering, well, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, one of our hosts is going to put up a link and then you can click and we're going to help you walk through that journey of saying yes to Jesus, stepping into the center of that relationship and inheriting all that He has paid and bought for with His life, death and resurrection. Church, let's worship right now. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.